disciples of faith. And over the next few months, we're going to dig deep into a few spiritual disciplines that have been modeled to us again and again in the Word of God. But let's pray. God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is our guidebook to how we should live. And so, God, this morning, would you help us to be good soil? And as always, God, would you put a filter on my words? Would only those birthed by your Spirit make it to the ears of those listening? Because we know that only your words take root and produce fruit. And we desperately want to be people of good fruit. In your name, amen. Well, we're going to flip in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians. And Lucas and I were actually listening to an old sermon and going, you know, we haven't said it for a while, is that we don't put any verses on the screens. And so if you're with us, or you have been for a few weeks and going, why don't they do it? It's because we know that your Bible is very valuable. You can't just call us up in the middle of the week if you want to know what passage we were preaching from. I mean, you can. But chances are that we won't answer or... We'll be like, I don't know either. Um, and so if you have it and you've bookmarked it and you've highlighted it and taken notes in your Bible, it's going to do you much better than just always relying on us to be where you need us to be when you need us. And your Bible is the greatest tool that you have for this Christian faith. And so if you don't have one, we would love to put a paper Bible in your hands. But for this moment, there's an amazing uh, app, the Version Bible app, Y-O-U, like you. And if you don't have a Bible here with you here right now, just download it. And you can flip with us. So we're going to 1 Corinthians, which is in the New Testament. Again, that's about two-thirds of the way through. If you flip past the Gospels, past Acts, and past Romans, you will find it right there. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes in, into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, Paul is actually, obviously, that was the word, using the Greek games as his metaphor here, and so I desperately wanted to have a sports story for you. You know, some team I was on, some race I'd won. I'm not a sports girl. In fact, I'm not athletic in any way. Um, we would have an annual baseball game in youth, and I would end up injured every one of those games. Every annual baseball game, I would either blow up my ankle or get a ball to the head or something. I am just not a sports girl. In fact, I only passed phys ed because I am a teacher's pet in everything. And my gym teachers loved me. And so they'd say, Lisa, we're going to go bowling. You don't want to sign up for the volleyball. You want to sign up for bowling. 
and they would help me through it all. One of my gym teachers was my math teacher, and I would much rather do math than anything phys ed. And so that is probably, truly, the only reason I passed high school. Do you need, Jamie, do you need phys ed to pass high school? Yeah, so I would have been fine without it, but in Alberta, you had to take it up to grade 11. It's the bane of my existence. And so I don't have an amazing sports story, and I just feel like I should have. And maybe some of you are like, you know what, I'm with you. I'm not an athletic kid. We can start a club together. But it was actually making me pause and go, man, do I have much discipline in my life? We're starting this series on self-discipline, and I can't even get a sports illustration that I was part of. I hate exercise. I hate cleaning my house and cooking. Like, basically, discipline is not a strong suit. I do it just because I love my family. And maybe some of you are sitting there, too, going, I am not the person that could be the poster child for a sermon on discipline. And then God was like, you know what, no, Lisa, you have a lot of discipline in your life, and I'm going to share with you why you have some discipline in your life, too. Who woke up this morning? Bravo. It's Sunday. You could have slept in, but you didn't. Good for you. Look at that discipline. Who brushed their teeth this morning? I'm going to say in faith that you did. Who even flossed? Okay, I heard a lot of like, ugh. I was just going to give you double points if you flossed. You all look spiffy. You got dressed. Thank you for that, by the way. There are some communities here on the Sunshine Coast that you wouldn't have to. But here we favor that. That's discipline. You got in the car. Even if probably at this point you were like, I haven't had enough coffee to go socialize with people after a week of work, you still did it. Look at that discipline, you. And then you got out again when you got here. And for some introverts like me, that's the hardest part of it all, is the getting out again once you got here. See, when we actually start thinking about it, we have much more discipline in our lives than we give ourselves credit for because our brain shortcuts it and just makes it habit. And so as we go through this series on spiritual disciplines, what we are actually hoping to do is to build the rhythms of spiritual life into our day so much that they become habit. That we are growing in our faith, that we are strengthening our relationship with God, almost on autopilot, because that's the beauty of how our human brains were created. Discipline keeps us healthy aids our relationships with others. Like I said, I hate cooking, but I have kids, and somehow it's frowned upon if you don't feed them, right? And so it helps my relationship with them. And in the same way, we need to recognize that our spiritual disciplines keep us just as healthy. And while they might not um, very obviously connect to our relationships with others, they do. They absolutely aid in our relationship with God. So we're going to dig into three good journalism questions this morning. Who, what, and why? 
as we open up this series on spiritual discipline. So back to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Who needs spiritual disciplines? Everyone that's competing. All of us. When we submit to faith in Jesus, these are things that we have to put into our lives. The idea of disciplining ourselves is not actually isolated to this passage, and it's not a new idea. In fact, Paul uses this metaphor often in his letters to the early church. And you might have picked up on a few things and went, wait, I thought that this verse or this word was next, and it's probably just because your brain is linking a few of these keywords to different parts of the Bible, like Philippians or Hebrews, and we're going to look at those in a moment. But this whole idea of running the race became so much of the verbiage of faith that we even see Luke using it when he's writing to the early church in Acts. And at the very end of Acts, in Acts 20, 24, Luke is really saying goodbye. He knows that he's going towards his death. He knows that that's what he's going to meet with when he arrives. And so he writes this to the early church in Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. You see, unlike um, the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, spiritual disciplines are about bringing ourselves to the submission of Jesus. There is a submission that comes at salvation when we ask Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, but this is the walking out of it. This is the life Submitted. This is the life laid down before Jesus, willing to do anything, even like Luke, know that you're walking to death and do it, considering my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. A life surrendered, and I would dare to say that this life surrendered bit is a far harder than just deciding to follow Jesus. That piece was easy. <laughs> and there were things to overcome, absolutely. But actually walking that out to completion, wow. Matthew Henry puts it like this, they must fight not as those that beat the air, but must strive against their enemies with all their might. One enemy the apostle here mentions, namely, the body. This must be kept under, beaten black and blue, as the combatants were in the Grecian games. 
and thereby brought into subjection. By the body, we are to understand fleshly appetites and inclinations. These, the apostle set himself to curb and conquer. Spiritual discipline is not something that's manufactured by the Holy Spirit. Again, like the fruits of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, where we just seek God and those things grow and develop in us. Spiritual disciplines, we get the aid of God because he's kind to us in everything. But these are things that we choose, like that song, right? Be lifted up. These are the things that I choose to do as a follower of Jesus. These are the habits that I'm going to choose to put in my life so that I look more and more like Jesus. <laughs> this is the harder task because we are broken people with fleshly appetites still, even though we have a life surrendered to God. And so that's why Paul uses such incredible language of beating ourselves into submission for the sake of the gospel. So who? Everyone. All of us. You are not exempt unless you don't know Jesus yet. And then you can tune out or take notes for the one day that we really hope that you would encounter his love. So what are spiritual disciplines? And we've talked a little bit about it, alluding to it, but let's go through some of them. Well, the verb to discipline is this. One, to train someone to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience, or two, to train oneself to do something in a controlled and habitual way. And the Latin root of this word discipline means instruction or knowledge. And so if we put these things together, spiritual disciplines are then training ourselves with instruction and knowledge to do that which is going to help us grow spiritually. And there are so many, and I'm not going to go through the whole list of what we're, we're going through this fall, but some of them are things like praying. That's a novel one, right? Studying our Bible, gratitude, community, Sabbath. And there were way more than we could pack into the weeks that we've allotted for this. But I want to just highlight that these are all things, or the ones that we're going to go through, are all things that are talked about in the Bible. Because there are a lot of spiritual disciplines out there that are spiritism, but not actually spiritual in the Christian sense of the word. And so we have the responsibility as Christ followers of being critical thinkers, right? Not everything that we read, not everything that we're told, not everything that we listen to is going to be correct. Even Lucas and I, please don't go home and just be like, well, the pastor said, think it through. We are fallible. We really do pray and study and, and shake in our boots when we get up here. But read it for yourself. Ask questions for yourself. Seek the face of God for yourself. Because there's a lot of information out there that is going to claim to be Christian that is not. It's spiritism in disguise. And so we have to be careful 
and we're talking especially about that which we're hoping is going to produce greater faith, we have to be careful that we're following the examples and instructions of our guidebook, of the Bible and what we do, because this is what's going to keep us from veering to the left or the right. It keeps us on track. But we also need to be very, very careful to not idolize those disciplines. See, spiritual disciplines are not godliness. They just aid us in it. In 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 to 8, it says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Spiritual disciplines are part of the training of ourselves to be godly. And here's what I mean. At the end of my life, I'm going to need to stand before Jesus, as will you. If I stand before Jesus and say, I read a chapter of the Bible every day, but I never did what you asked me to do, and you actually never had my heart, will that be enough? No. So I had a spiritual discipline, but I didn't have godliness. Because I didn't have a heart that was surrendered to Jesus. And so the spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. They get us to that finish line, but they are not the end. And church, this is why I bring this up, is because we can be so prideful about our spiritual disciplines. Well, how many hours did you pray on Saturday? How many verses of the Bible did you memorize this year? And we can get so caught up in what we do that we forget that that's not really the goal. Are you tracking with me? Do we need these things in our lives? Absolutely. We have to be people of prayer. We have to be people of the word. We have to be people of community. We need to follow the instructions of God, which includes Sabbath and gratitude. But that's not the goal. The goal is the becoming like of Jesus. Listen to what Eric Barreto said. The athletic metaphor is not meant to highlight the athlete, her discipline or her achievements, so much as her aims and the motiva motivating force behind her efforts. In this case, Paul does not run or box for the sake of his self-improvement or to enhance his body. The aim is proclaiming the good news to others. The motivating force is the un swerving call of God. Spiritual disciplines help us in our sanctification, our being set apart from the things of sin, that purifying work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us. It's choosing to allow him to do that, giving him the space. So why does it matter? Well, I want you to imagine that you're on a racetrack right now. It's just you on the racetrack. You see that red track beneath your feet and the blue sky and clouds above you. 
feel that wind on your face. Just you in the starting line. And you get down into that start position and you hear that start pistol go. And so what do you do like a good racer? You spring from those starting blocks. You take a step. And then you stop, right? No, you keep running towards the finish line. But if you'd stop, you could argue that you're on the track. I mean, you're on the path. But if you're not moving towards the goal, is there any point? And this is why spiritual disciplines matter because we're on a faith journey and we use that verbiage deliberately. There are lots of ways we could describe your faith. The verbiage of faith journey just implies momentum. It implies direction. It implies that there's movement and growth. And if we are like that runner who just stops, then I think that we need to have a very serious conversation with Jesus about where our hearts are at. Because if we have faith, but we're never progressing in it, then I would wonder about your intentionality. Is that something that you took seriously? And these are conversations that we have with God all the time. Like, God, I just feel like I'm stalled. At the beginning of the year, I, I shared with you guys, I was just at a point where I was like, God, I'm just not really sure that I love you. And that I had just spent some time, just a season, just reading, not about anything that I had to do for God, because that was my trap right then. I was just reading about God's great love for me. And allowing him to rekindle that passion, just to rekindle that relationship that just felt like I had just stopped on the tracks. And if there's no forward progress, you know, God's not going to, like, whip you with that. He loves you too much. But he is going to come and want to chat with you about how we can get to the next step and then the next one and the next one. And so spiritual disciplines are our part in that. Again, in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, it says, Do you not know in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And in 20, verse 27, it says, now I, now I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And church, this is the thought that is a pit in my stomach all the time. Because the Bible is so clear about the fact that there are going to be people that are going to stand before Jesus one day and say, I did all the right things. I did it all. I said all the right words. I did all the right actions. Jesus say, yeah, that's great, but I didn't know you. I didn't know you. Now here's Paul, right? 
Paul, he wrote a lot of our Bible, saying, you know what? This is so important. Listen, this is so important. I, Paul, like we like to put him up on a pedestal. I know that's wrong. He's human just like us. And he's saying this is so important. I'm going to do it so that after I've said all the right things and I've led all of these people to Christ, that I myself don't get to stand before Jesus and him say, that's great, Paul, but I didn't know you. And that's the piece that, honestly, when I start to feel myself drift or I start to feel myself stand still on that track, that I go, God, I just need to have a conversation with you because I need you to know me. So it's not about doing all the right things or saying all the right things. It's not about making sure that you have 10 out of 10 spiritual disciplines in your life. It's not. The goal is godliness. The goal, the why, is that we look more and more like Jesus tomorrow than we did today because we're reading our Bible, because we're spending time in the presence of God, because we're sharpening within community. The goal is not the discipline. The goal is Jesus. In Philippians 3, 12 to 14, and this is one of the ones I said, maybe your brain went here. Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Not that I've already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I think this is another place where we just get so forgetful that this is not the goal line. This isn't the end. Nothing about this life is. The goal isn't about having a fantastic life here. The goal is having eternal life with Jesus. The goal is evasive and elusive because we never know when the day is going to come that we're reaching that finish line. So press on. Don't give up. Don't think you've arrived because you haven't. God is much more immense than you could give him credit for. There's always more of him to find, even if we live to be 400. There's always more of him to discover. You know what the truth is? I am far more depraved than I take credit for. And if I lived to be 400, there would still be more sin for God to purify out of me. We will never have arrived in this life. But that's okay. Don't give up. Press on. Press on. And maybe that seems super monotonous. And some days it's going to be. But don't get lured to sleep. And don't get lured into the idea of just, you know what? I'm feeling pretty good today. I'm just going to sit and be comfortable and just review my favorite psalm. Press in and press on. 
Why are those spiritual disciplines so important? They bring us back to Jesus. They bring us back to a place remembering what he's done over and over again. And this is an idea that we don't like in our evangelical world so much. We often find liturgy or tradition or even service order um, to be something that maybe we want to war against. And I don't think that's a healthy place of being because God himself set up the calendar for the Israelites to be remembered of his victories, of his faithfulness, to come back to remembering again and again. And he declares himself a God of order over the early church, of when you use your spiritual gifts to do so in order. Because he wants to be the focus. He wants to be our center. He wants to be our focal point. In Hebrews 12, and this might have been another one that might have popped up in your head, Hebrews 12, right at the beginning of that chapter, verses 1 to 3. And so therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When it feels monotonous, fix our eyes on Jesus so we won't become weary and lose heart. When it feels like we have nothing more that God can purify us from, consider the cross. And in light of the cross, man, I got a lot to be purified from. When I get caught up in the woe is me, consider that great cloud of witnesses, those ones who have gone before, who endured so much more than we could ever imagine. Consider those that are running the same race as us right now, that are going through more than we could ever imagine. And press on. The spiritual disciplines are the tools of faith for everyone who has submitted their lives to Jesus. They regularly bring us back to the presence of Jesus and aid us in becoming more and more like him. Can we have faith without them? Yeah, sort of. Can we grow in faith without them? I would argue no. You can't. Because how can you grow in a relationship with someone that you never spend time with, never learn of, or never talk to? I don't think you can. So whether you recognize as a spiritual discipline in your life right now, maybe that is the question. Because I'd argue that you probably have some of these already firmly established if you're growing in faith. But I want to bring a quick word of caution from John Whitney because some of you are very much like me, right? We are the rule people. I love rules. I love to know what I'm supposed to do. And then my goal is not a B plus or an A minus. 
like A++. Miss McGugan over there is like, that's not even a thing, Lisa. Um, but that is what I want. I want to like knock it out of the park. A hundred is not good enough. I need the hundred and five, right? There are some of you that, that are like, I, I know who you are because we've already had these conversations about being the perfectionist people. So let me bring this caution to my fellow perfectionist people from Don Whitney. Spiritual disciplines are activities they are not attitudes. Disciplines are practices. Spiritual disciplines are things you do. They are not character qualities. They are not graces. They are not the fruit of the Spirit. They are things you do. And this is why that's important. Jesus did not like Pharisees. And I don't ever want to become one. Anybody with me? I don't want to be the whitewashed tomb that the Pharisees became. Where they went after all of the things that they had to do. They got so good at the actions of faith. And it was for show only. It was to check off a to-do list. Church, we can become so good at the actions of faith without the heart surrendered to God. Especially if you were born in church culture. You know when to say amen. You know that you should probably lift your hands on the bridges of the songs because those are the most spiritual moments. Right? We know all of the good things to do but these are not the end. They are the means to developing Christ-likeness in us. They're not the journey. They just aid us in walking it out. And so this fall, we want to be really, really practical. Why? Because Evangel seeks to be a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, encounter his love, and look more and more like him every day. And so we're going to go really much more teach than preach, okay? I'm, I'm just making Lucas now do that. Um, I will be much more teach than preach this fall as we dig deep together in these things that are going to not create faith in us, but help us to look more and more like Jesus. Why do you close your eyes? And I want to pray this over you. Run in such a way as to get a prize. You who are on this faith journey, take seriously your training. Not for a crown that will not last, but a crown that will last. Not aimlessly or for show, but to take captive every sin that so easily entangles, everything that will hinder, 
than make it slave to Jesus. So that at the end of your life or the end of time, whichever comes first, you may not be disqualified from the prize. And so God, we do, (laughs) we do want to be people that look more and more like you every day. And right now, if we're not, (laughs) if we don't look more like you than we did yesterday, if we're standing still on the tracks, would you speak to us? I know that you are patient and you are gracious when in my own flesh I would be frustrated and fed up. And you hear me out over and over and over and over again when I get into the same rut, when I cave to the same temptation. And you have mercy for me over and over and over again. And you offer forgiveness again and again. And you call me to more and you call me back to you. So this morning, God, if there are friends and family in this room that just feel that tug saying, you're standing still. God, would you give them that certainty that coming to you doesn't mean a beating, but coming to you is just telling you everything that you already know. You wrap your arms around us and you take the next step. You get us back on track. And God, this fall, I just pray that you would maybe spark something in us, a, a way to progress in our faith that maybe we haven't ever explored before. Maybe something that we had and we put on the shelf. God, if you want to be a church that looks so radically like you, that people that we work with, our neighbors, our friends, they see you in us. And that only happens when we are growing in our faith and we're looking like you. And so we surrender to you today, but we surrender this fall to you and ask that you'd be glorified and you would You'd help your bride to be beautiful and white when you come back for her. We love you. Let's stand and worship together.